Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella, and I am super excited to bring my guest on today, Michael Young. Michael, what's going on today? Anything good? Everything's good. Everything's good? That's awesome. All right, so um, why don't you tell us a little bit um, about your background, how you got into real estate and all that good stuff? Uh, I've been in real estate since 1990. Before that, I was um, developing mobile home parks and apartment buildings with my family. Uh, so, yeah. Doing it for a long time. So what what got you interested in it in 1990? Well, I, I'd worked with my family for a while uh, in development, and uh, my dad got sick. So at the time, um, I thought, you know, if I'm going to do something on my own, I want to keep, I love real estate, I want to keep doing that. So I might as well get my broker's license and, and then go from there and have, you know, as much autonomy as I can. So that's why I did it. Now, did you start out initially working for yourself or did you work for somebody else in the beginning? Yeah, no, the first two or three years I worked with uh, Caldwell Banker and other couple different companies who were, were great, but I always knew that I was going to be working on my own because I wanted to have my own family office and slash you know, real estate brokerage office to do both um, acquisition and brokerage. That was always, that was always the plan. So um, how long were you with kind of those big box companies before you ended up going on your own? About three years. Okay. And then you got your broker's license, you opened your own place, and then how did it kind of go from there? Um, I chose a mentor. I started working with Mike Ferry very heavily, and yep. uh, I wanted to learn skills and, and uh, very aggressive. And, uh, you know, Mike, Mike still coaches me today. So you have been coaching with Mike for what now? Over 20, 20 years? years? Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow, that's crazy. So when you – now, I don't know when he, he started – his coaching business, but were you actually coached by him directly at that point? Well, he didn't actually have a coaching business back then. Back then he was speaking and doing seminars, but I was, I got very uh, familiar with him very quickly. So we became, I don't want to use the word friends because that's being a little too forward, but um, I would see Mike probably 20 to 30 times a year and we became friends and um, I would call him. I would email him. He was always very, very open to me. And uh, to this day, more so than ever. So, is he in your market? Mike? No, Mike's from Southern California. I'm, I'm from the Bay Area. Okay, perfect. So, you said you saw him 20 to 30 times a year. Like, did you have well, he would, Yeah, he would come to, to the Bay Area and speak. Now, this is again 28 years ago when he was in his early to mid 40s. So, he was, he, was, he was all over the country all the time. So, I had great advantage seeing him because he was speaking all the time. So, I would go to the superstar retreat. I would go to um, other things, he was doing, but, but he mostly would come to the Bay area. Okay. And so at that point there was no coaching business thing. So when did, when did you officially start coaching with him? Uh, that was in the mid nineties. Okay. Perfect. So you started coaching with him, um, been working with him for over 20 years. Um, how did your, your business kind of go from there? Like, were you, were you hiring agents at that point? Were you a solo person or were you doing investment deals at that point? Well, I've always been investing in real estate, but I used real estate as a means to an end for acquisition. So 
you know, I would, brokerage has always been where I would pay personal expenses, pay my taxes. What was left over would go, go into the bank or not, I don't want to call it savings because you don't really save money or like storing money. And then when I would get a certain amount, I would put that into real estate investments. Okay. And when you, when you say investing, are you talking about um, all, multifamily. all multifamily and, and all locally where you're at or in Bay different area. parts? Bay area. Yeah. Okay. So going back then, I mean, to the, right now the market's absolutely crazy. There, back then, could you buy properties and actually cash flow? I don't buy properties and don't cash flow. Okay, um, can you tell us a little bit about the numbers back when you were first buying? Like, what type of properties you were purchasing, what the cash flow looked like, and all that good stuff. Well, I've always been an add value investor. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Um. I can infer what you mean, but why don't you explain it just so that in case any of the listeners don't understand. Sure. So I buy properties um, the way some uh, guys on Wall Street buy stock. I'm looking for properties that are at value, meaning that they're, they're properties that need work or they're being mismanaged or there's something going on that's, that's wrong. So I go in, I fix them up, and I increase the cash flow that I never sell. Oh, wait, so you so you end up um, you don't hold on to them for the long haul. Yeah, I never sell. Oh, you never sell. Oh, sorry, I thought you said then then you do sell. So I'm what? Not, the, I'm not a flipper. So were you buying? Was it like two families, three families, four families? What type of properties were you actually investing in? Well, initially it was it was small properties, but now it's I don't I usually buy anywhere from fifty to two hundred units. Okay, so I know a lot of the people that are listening right now probably want to know how you kind of bridge the gap between those two, because obviously somebody's first starting 200 units sounds like a lot. How did you kind of work your way up to doing bigger deals like that? Well, actually in retrospect, I would have done it differently. I would have started out doing minimum 20, 20 deals because you really, if you're going to do four to 10, 15, 20, those are really not good because they're, they're two management, um, I don't like to manage, I don't, I don't manage properties. So you don't want to be managing the properties. You want to find properties that, that need work, that where you can add value, jack the rents, and then have a manager take care of them for you. Um, then once you've added the value, you increase, the equity, take out your original down payment and then have that go into another property while that property that you bought is still cash flowing very well. And you've got equity in there that you didn't have before. So it becomes an infinite return. What I just told you, probably 3% of the population even understands what I just said. But if you can actually, which is very simple, if you actually understand what I just said, that's one of the keys to, to, to building wealth in real estate. Yeah, and it's something that, that we've done pretty much from day one. I mean, they call that the birth strategy. So, you know, you're buying, you're, you're renovating, you're renting at fair market value, you're refining, refinancing back out, and then you're repeating um, where but you're refinancing back, the difference is some people when they refinance back out, they're breaking even. Yep. Refinance back out, I'm getting I'm getting my money back and a twenty percent. Well, not even twenty percent returns, an infinite return because now I've got no money into it and it's still cash flowing beautifully. And even if the market crashes twenty or thirty percent, it's still going to cash flow. That's the key. You and I have seen. I don't know how long you've been doing it, but I've seen a lot of geniuses that did that, and then the market tanks they go bust. You have to be able to withstand market crashes. You have to be able to withstand um, market downturns. That's the difference. 
So what advice can you give us in terms of that? Like how, how what, what are the, some of the mistakes that people, that people make when that happens? They, 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 they don't have enough equity in the property. They get too big for the britches. They, uh, they don't have, one of the, the big mistakes I see people make is they don't have capital reserves. They don't keep enough capital to either buy properties, to fix properties, and or when there's market turndowns, to buy more properties. Because you really make your money you make money in any, I make money in all markets, but where you're really going to get the fattest is when there's blood in the streets, when there's recessions, downturns. That's really when you're going to make your biggest, biggest bangs in profit. I mean, the last five years, I, I keep buying property, but from 2008 to 2011, that's when I was buying properties 15, 20, 30 cents on the dollar. Hmm. Even in the Bay Area, you were getting them at discounted? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So given that where we're at in the market cycle right now, I'm, I'm assuming that you're probably in agreement with me that we're towards the, the top end, right? You know, I thought that two or three years ago. I have no idea where we are. I just know it's, it's deal to deal. Right, meaning that you you get a good deal placed in front of you, you buy it, you're saying, right? No matter what, what time, time period we're yeah. at. So... In terms of like, you know, getting prepared for, for the market to change, like how far away do you think we potentially are though? Do you think- I have, no, I, I, I have no idea. I really, I, I'm not trying to be cute. I, I really don't know because we're in a different world right now. Um, we should have crashed in the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. We have more debt than ever. People have less money than ever. Wages aren't going up. Inflation has started. Is, inflation has been going through the roof actually for years, but I think the government manipulates uh, CPI ratios, so I can't, can't rely on that. I know that, that even during the downturn, I can keep increasing my rents and it never stops. So when you say where are we, I have no idea because we're living in a, in a, in a kind of a fake economic universe. All I know is if I see a deal that makes sense, I buy it. What's happening in Congress? What's happening in the world? I, I have no idea. If you see a great deal. And even if you know there's going to be a downturn, the litmus test is, this is really the way to answer your question. It doesn't actually matter what's going on in the world because we have no control over it. And I have no idea what's going to happen. If you find a property that makes sense, that even if, if the market goes down 20 to 30% and you're still going to cash flow, that's all that matters. Because then, that's, that, that's, then you're able to get through downturns as well. If, if you buy a property and you're on the edge, you're going to go bust because one of the days there is going to be a downturn and you're going to be upside down on that property. So you've talked about, you know, buying properties no matter what time period it is, if the numbers make sense. So many people are having difficulty finding great deals in this market. What are your acquisition strategies that are working for you today in order to get these great deals? You have to look outside of where you normally look. You may have to go on a plane. You're going to have to look at more deals. You're going to have to make very, um, you're going to have to make good contacts with with brokers in every market. There, you know, every market there's only two or three brokers that actually control those those deals, and most of them are going to be off market. They're not going to be on LoopNet. They're not going to be on you know the average realtor is not going to have them. So you really have to be out there on the ground, or have people on the ground, and or have be calling and looking um, directly, maybe even to sellers or principals. Because you're just going to find them on mostly, you're probably not going to find them on LoopNet. You're probably not going to find them on just any any person. 
Yeah, I think the biggest mistake that new new people make is they're trying to you know bid on properties that everybody else knows about. And no, you just can't. I don't. I don't do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't get in bidding wars. Right. Um, so what are some strategies besides, you know, networking with people or what are some, what are some strategies in order to network and, and work your way in with those particular two or three people? You have to be, you have to call brokers. You have to tell them if you just call brokers and say, give me a deal, you're, you're never going to get call back. You're never going to get to first phase. You've got to be able to tell them a, what your track record is, when you're looking to place, how many units you control, um, be specific. If you're not specific, because they got people calling them night day, because everybody's got cash. Everybody thinks they have cash. Mm-hmm. Got, everybody's got a, you know, a big story. But very few people have the cash and the track record and the wherewithal to do the deals and know how to manage properties um, to make it worth a broker's while to call them back and, and or deal with them. So you talked about in the beginning stages, you bought smaller buildings, smaller apartments, and you know now you said starting out, you would go bigger. Um, yes, definitely, without a question. So for somebody who's never done a deal or maybe only owns a couple of multifamily properties, how do you go from, from that space, a two-family, a three-family, in order to the bigger um, commercial buildings? You have to do one of two things. You either have to partner up with somebody and or you have to gather more, store more money to buy, buy bigger properties. Because if you're, if you're just buying two to four unit buildings, you're either going to go bust or you're, you're not really going to get anywhere because it, it just, it's, it's just a losing proposition. It takes too much time. Um, you're missing opportunities. You're, you're, it just, I don't know. I don't know anybody that got really wealthy buying, really wealthy buying, you know, sticking with two to four unit buildings. I mean, yeah, I know guys that, that have done it for 30 or 40 years and they, it took them a long time to do it and they manage the properties themselves. But I, that's just not a formula. I think that, that the best guys I know, they, they buy minimum 20, 50, hundred unit buildings. They don't, they don't mess around with two to four unit buildings. Now, if you want to flip into larger properties, if you have two to four units, you want to flip into a 10 unit or 20 unit building, that's fine. But just to keep buying duplexes and fourplexes, that's, that's not, that's not a winning, winning formula to me. Now, um, you talked about the fact that the bigger units allow you to have better management in place. It's easier to manage in one individual area. Um, do you find on average the deals also tend to be better? Sometimes, yeah. Well, there's less people bidding on them necessarily. I mean, they're, they're, the ones that are bidding on them usually are sharp people. But you're trying to scale out. You're trying to... You're trying to you don't want to have 10 roofs if you can have one, right? You don't want to have 10 foundations, 10 roofs if you can have one. You also want to be able to buy a lot in a certain area. So you, again, with your management, you can scale. It makes sense. Um, yeah, so I just overall, it's if you can do that, it's better to do that. And you know, do, you, do you own the property management company who manages your stuff or is it a totally separate entity? No, separate entity. Okay. I don't, I don't want to be in the management business. Okay. And that's because of the, the margins of it, or you just don't enjoy it or. No, I just, I, I have no interest in that. I, I, my best returns are going to be on finding hard assets that offer me the, the income and the tax advantage and the appreciation. And the, I already have a, a real estate brokerage business. That's, that's enough of a retail, retail business for me. So in terms of financing them, 
um, for, for people that are, you know, kind of fairly newer, um, are they, are you raising capital? Are you, what type of financing is, is typical for the type of deals that you do? Well, initially, and again, this, this may be different than some people, initially it's going to be probably hard money or private money because the, the properties I'm buying, they need work. They're distressed properties. They need to be fixed up. So I'm going to go to, to private money initially to fix them up. Then I'm going to cash them out after a year or two years after they're fixed up, after the rents are jacked up. And then I'll, I'll put permanent financing on with a regular bank. And what percentage of a, of a discount off of retail do you typically have to get for you to be interested in the deal like today? It's not really a discount off of retail. Um, it's, it's really about what's the opportunity. I'll pay you full price. If, I, if, if you're too lazy to, to raise your rents 30 to 50 percent, I'll pay you your price if it makes sense. I'm not, I don't need to, to squeeze every nickel out. Um, if it's a good deal, it's a good deal. Hmm. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, not do a deal over fifty or hundred thousand dollars when I when I have the chance to to get a twenty twenty five percent return on my equity or or eventually infinite return over fifty hundred thousand dollar difference. That's that's stupid. Let's take a quick break from the episode to get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors. Join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. So what are the numbers that you are looking for when you are buying a deal? I know you said cash flow, but in, in relative terms, is there, you know, a, a cap rate or is there anything that you're specifically looking for in any of these deals? I never look at cap rates because I'm looking at add value property. So cap rates are irrelevant. What I'm looking for is a 20 to 25% return on my equity. That's what I'm looking for. I want those rents to be below market. So I can go in, fix up the property, increase the rents dramatically so I can get the, the return I want and then get my equity out and then do it again somewhere else. Very, very, it's a very simple formula. It's not easy, but it's very simple. See, so you mentioned a few times buying properties with below fair market value ranks. What, why are these buildings typically under-rented? Oh, it's always the same three or four reasons. Either the, the people that own the buildings uh, either don't know what they're doing, didn't realize what they were getting into, or they're old, or they have drug or alcohol problems, or they're getting divorced, or they get somebody died. It's always going to be one of those deals. Um, so, besides real estate agents that you know that you're con- you know connected with in your local market, are there any other main sources for you to acquire deals like this? Not really. It, you know, um, no. It's usually going to be coming from agents. Mm. And so you talked about, and you've had the brokerage side of the business since the early 90s, you said. Um, how has that kind of grown throughout the course of the year? And what does that look like for you today? How do you mean? Well, you obviously started off just you. Um, did you build it out into like a, a bigger brokerage or has the brokerage just kind of operated as a, kind of a solo independent place for you to do your investment deals? Yeah, so it's more like a, a it's like a brokerage slash family office. So the brokerage part of the brokerage acts as a family office where I have people in my office looking for deals from me every every day. And so um, the brokerage business is a separate entity, but offshoot of that is looking and processing and, and doing doing deals for acquisition. A lot of people talk about a lot of investors say, well, you know should I get my, my real estate licensing? Some people argue that it's not in the best interest of an investor to get licensed. What's your take on that? 
I don't think you, you need a license. I've never, when, when I'm going to approach a broker, I always let them represent me. I never rep represent myself. And further, I'll even tell the broker, if you want to keep a piece for yourself, not take a commission, you can be a small partner in the deal. All the better. I have no problem with that. So they don't need to get a license. I have a broker because my retail business is retail brokerage. It's not to, it's not to buy property. Mm. In fact, I think you're actually damaging yourself by trying to represent yourself. To, to try to save 30 or 40,000 bucks is stupid. Really, really colossally dumb. When you can get somebody else to represent you, have a relationship with you, have them start giving you off-market deals, having them fight for you to get that deal. It's not worth the 30 or 40 or 60,000 when you're going to make it up in the long term. If you keep that property forever, that's nothing. That's a blip. That's, that's peanuts. You've got, to, you've got to see the big picture. The big picture, you're not going to, you're not going to get wealthy saving commissions. That's, that's really small thinking. Mm. Do you have a particular goal in terms of how many units you want to get up to within a period of time? Yeah, so I want to get up to, right now I'm at 350. I want to get to 1,000 um, in the next five years. I want to get to 3,000 in the next 10 years. Okay. And what is, what is the planning order to do that, uh, to step that up and you know double and ultimately 10 times what you have today? It's going to be a combination of refinancing, uh, 1031ing, and just... Um, keep doing what I'm doing with my, my brokerage business. Make a commission to those three things. So you talked it's about- It's a classic formula. It's nothing, nothing that hasn't been done differently in the last hundred years. This is how Trump or the Kushners or anybody else, this is what they all did. Every yeah. single one did the same thing. So you talked about it being a, a major mistake not to use debt right now. What do you mean by that? Money is free. If you're not using debt, again, you're, you're thinking way too small. If you're, if you're not using debt, you're, you, you probably shouldn't even be in real estate. If you're, if you're not smart enough to use debt, then you're, you're really not the brightest form. So what would you say to the Dave? I'm sorry? What would you say to the Dave Ramsey types that all debt is bad? Um, I think Dave Ramsey should talk to any company, Coca-Cola, any huge, large company, talk to any um, huge, large real estate developers that that's all use debt. Dave Ramsey has an audience of people that should not be investing in real estate. Anybody that tells him to, you know, own your truck for 15 years. And, you know, he's talking to people that their biggest goals in life is to have maybe three to $5 million. And that's fine. That's great. But I'm talking to people that want to be worth 30, 50, hundred, 200, $500 million, not three to 5 million. If you want to work, be worth three to $5 million, you probably shouldn't even be watching the show. This is, this is, I'm not the right guy to be talking to. Right. I want to have three to $5 million a year in passive income, not net worth. Right. So we're, we're talking, I didn't know how to relate to those people. Nice people. I don't even know how to relate to those people. Those people, if you're living in the Bay area and you're worth three to $5 million, you're broke. <laughs> you should, you should really consider moving to Texas or Oklahoma or Apple Valley, California. You should not be living in the Bay area. If that's, because the typical person has their house in the Bay Area. Maybe it's worth two, three million bucks and they have a little stock portfolio and they have some cash. They think they're doing great. They're not great. They're broke. All it's going to take is one devastating illness, something that will wipe them out. Mm. So again, you're, you're probably talking to the wrong guy. 
You also talked about the power of learning from the best. How does that relate into what you've done over the course of your career? You're going to learn. You got to learn from people that have done what you want to do. So you want to ment- you want them to mentor you. If they can't mentor you, read their books, meet them, suck their brains out, just do whatever you can to replicate and model what they've done. It's I mean, it's easier now than ever to there's so much information back. There's probably too much information, but find the person that you want to replicate and then just do what they did or are doing. And so besides Mike Ferry, uh, I mean, Mike Ferry obviously has, you know, a tremendous real estate coaching business thing. I'm sure you learned a lot about the retail side of the business from him. Who is kind of your mentor on the investment side? I just have always watched the biggest of the big guys on the East coast and the West coast and saw what they, and see what they do. It's a very simple formula. They, they, they store money. They don't, save money, they use money uh, as a tool to buy hard assets that create passive income to the end to then create more power to buy more hard assets to create more passive income. So you have to first decide what is what is it you want to have, what is it you want to do? What what is your goal for passive income? You want to have passive income. See I have a, I have passive income goals. If you want to be a flipper then what I'm everything I just said, if you want to be a flipper then everything I've just said goes right out the window. It makes no sense whatsoever. If you have a small net worth, everything I've said goes right out the window. It makes no sense whatsoever. But you want, if you want to have an eight, nine, ten figure net worth, then this is, from what I've seen over the last hundred years, watching the best of the best on the East Coast and the West Coast, this is the formula every single person to the man and woman have used. Anybody can do it. It doesn't take a college degree. It doesn't take a real estate license. But it does take guts and vision and determination and sleepless nights and a very strong stomach. So you talked about having a strong stomach. What, what are some of the issues that you've run all, uh, across that have been tough to deal with? You, you've got to deal with flaky people all the time. People not to keep their word, flaky people. Um, you have to deal with the ups and downs of, of markets. You have to take risk. You have to take calculated risk. You're not going to throw darts at the board, but you are taking calculated risk. You have to be able to be okay with that. You have to have people changing terms. You have to have banks changing terms. You have to have sellers changing terms. You have to have people lying to you. You have to have brokers that are totally incompetent, don't know what they're going to have to do the broker's job for them half the time. These are things you have to understand and, and deal with. You have to deal with contractors that are even, even flakier than realtors, which is hard to believe. They are. It's just part. But see, but you have to. Here's what the bottom line is: be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And if you can't learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, again, you probably should not be doing this, because this this requires a high level of being comfortable with with being uncomfortable. You talked about adding value to all the properties that you buy. Do you have your own construction crews? Do you have GCs? How do you get that work done on, on those bigger projects? I have a skeleton crew that, that goes from, you know, sometimes, but sometimes depending on where it is, you have to use local crews. Mm-hmm. You have to find the best people you can. It can be challenging sometimes. And you said all, so all of your stuff is in the Bay Area, right? You said... Nothing ever, right, ever right, done. Right, right now it is. But like, for example, I'm going to uh, Superstar, my Ferry Superstar retreat next week. Um, so it's in Las Vegas. So as soon as I get off the plane, I'm looking at a 107-unit building in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Looking at Nevada, I'm going to start looking in 
on other places because if things change politically, which they might in California, they might they might change some laws. That's going to have a negative effect on on rental property and landlords in California. So you have to be cognizant of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think both your state and mine, I mean, they're they're so super um, tenant friendly. And, you know, I've thought about all of my stuff is in Massachusetts as well. And I've thought about, you know, maybe doing some stuff outside of Massachusetts, too, only because of the, the laws just so heavily favor the tenants. Yeah, it's, it is what it is. And it's probably not going to change. So, you know, you have to kind of just roll with it and do the best you can. You're, you're in your East Coast? I'm, I'm in Boston. I'm in Massachusetts. Bye. So. Oh, that's like San Francisco. They're communists on both sides. Yeah, it's it's um it's tough. I mean, on on the one hand, it is really tough. On the other hand, the benefit that I think people have that are slightly bigger investors and have a little bit deeper pockets is that it knocks a lot of the smaller people out of the game. So a lot of people can't withstand a tenant not paying them for six months or twelve months. So in some ways, you know, it, it kind of helps people that have deeper pockets to, because a lot of the other smaller people can't even get into the game. But Tom, Tom, you know, you bring up a really good point. I should have mentioned this in the beginning. That's another, that's maybe the biggest reason why you don't want to buy two to four units because see if I have a 20, 40, 60, 100, 200 unit building, somebody doesn't pay their rent. Even if two people, three people don't pay their rent, I'm still going to cash flow beautifully. But if you have a two to four unit building and one or two people don't pay their rent or they leave, you're screwed. See that Amongst the other things I said is a huge reason why you want to scale. You want to get larger buildings. So if you have a 20 building, people leave, you're still doing great. You'll fill it up. You're fine. But you have a, you have two units and one person leaves, or you have six or eight units, one, two people leaves. That can have a major effect on your cash flow. I don't even want to have tenants have that kind of control. You know, you know, I know you mentioned that you want to buy over 20 units. Is there any sweet spot there? Like, are you looking if you had to say, what is the ideal property for me? Is it a 50 unit, a hundred unit, 150 unit, or is it just all about the deal? It's all about the deal. It's always all about the deal. I mean, I'll buy, if I have to, I'll buy a 20 unit building. I mean, I bought a 22 unit property a year and a half ago. It was an insanely great deal. I mean, just, and I still have it. It's great. Got all my money out. Cash flows pays me 25%. You know, if I kept my money, it'd be 25% on equity. But now I still get every month I don't know, five, six thousand bucks a month, and I have no money in it. And and I and it's I've got two million dollars of equity in there that with no money in it. Hmm. So I mean I'll take that all day long, a twenty-two unit building. Yeah. Um, have you ever had any issues where you you bought it, you renovated, you went to go refinance it out and you had issues getting your money back out of the deal? No, not so far. I mean, that's why you really have to make sure that you really know what you're doing and what you're buying. So right. you go for the permanent financing, you don't have a problem. And that's that's always a risk. I mean, just because it doesn't mean it couldn't happen. Mm. But, you know, that's, that's again, part of those sleepless nights, part, part of having a strong stomach to be able to deal with that if it does come up or just the, the possibility. Some people, just the possibility of it happening, can't deal with it. Yep. You know, and you know that, you know. For sure. So, so you've got everything, everything I'm saying doesn't require. I didn't go to college. This is not. This is not I don't know what I'm doing requires a college degree, a degree in finance or economics to do this. But it does require a certain mindset and a certain skill set. 
Yeah, I think the mindset is the is the biggest thing. I mean, like you said, it's not an educational thing at all. I mean, you have to you have to learn about it about getting you know these type of deals done. But at the same time, um, you certainly don't have to have any advanced degree in order to do it. Absolutely. Um, so, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's just starting out on day one? For what? getting into investing they they just read a book they just went to their first seminar and they they want to get into the into the game what would you what would you recommend that they do uh read well first of all reading books is not going to get you anywhere so don't worry about books go out and start looking at properties yep learning about your local market um find the in your local market who are the biggest landlords who's the guy or gal that owns 50 100 500 thousand 5, units go interview them Ask them to work for them. I mean, if you're really serious, work for them for free for six months just to hang around them, see yeah. how they put deals together, sign a non-disclosure thing so that, you know, if they find a deal, you can't rip off their deal. Do whatever it takes to model them, see how they think, see how they act, see how they react, see how they put deals together. Uh, start looking at every property you can, 20, 50, 100 unit, units. Uh, start looking who are the top one or two brokers in the area that control that market. Cause every regional market, there's one or two or three agents that control that regional market. And most of that stuff is private. They have their top two or three or five investors. They're going to put it on loop net. They call Bob or Mary. They say, Hey, listen, there's a deep deal coming up. Here's the return. What do you want to do? So those are the kind of things you have to start jumping into mm. and start accumulating cash. You're going to need a lot of cash. Mm. Start storing it away. Getting it ready. So how can our listeners, if they, they want to learn more about you or, or reach out to you, what's the best way for them to, to get more information on you? They can call me 415-215-3925-415-215-3925 is my cell number. Uh, you can email me or you can text me, obviously. Uh, you can email me at Michael. At, my company's name is Princeton, like college. Pacific, like the ocean properties. Michael at Princeton Pacific is my email. Michael at M-I-C-H-A-E-L at PrincetonPacific.com. But my company is Princeton Pacific Properties. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for, for dropping so much information uh, to all the people who are listening. Um, it, was a, it was a great show and thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.